the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tired of the negative news and flash over substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and Ph.D. with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. My co-host Larry Dersham and I are delighted to have you with us. And we have a very special guest with us the first half of the show. Larry, who do we have on the line? Ray Comfort is an experienced apologist and popular speaker who has written more than 100 books. Co-host with Kurt Cameron of the award-winning TV program, Way of the Master, which airs across the globe. Comfort is the executive producer of several award-winning movies that have been seen by millions, and you can access at fullyfreefilms.com. Ray's teachings have been commended by John MacArthur, David Jeremiah, Joni Erickson Tata, uh, Josh McDowell, and many other Christian leaders. Thank you for joining the program this evening, Ray. Oh, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Ray, Ray, your name is familiar to me from back in my seminary days. You have done so much. I don't know how you fit it into one lifetime, but I do have to say a little bit of trivia that I heard about you. You can let me know if it's true or not. I heard that you don't own a car and that you and your wife enjoy raising chickens in your backyard. Are those things true? Half of it is. I I rode a bike, didn't have a car until about two five years ago when I purchased a 2010 VW Beetle because I wanted to be more independent. I didn't like having to rely on people to go places. But we do raise chickens. We love chickens. They're machines that make eggs for breakfast, so we love them. Wow. Hey, Ray, could you tell us a little bit about your nonprofit organization, Living Waters, how it got started, what it does, and also tell us about how your association with the TV and film star Kurt Cameron caused your Living Waters ministry to really take off? Yeah, it started way back in 1974, uh, Living Waters. We started uh, giving away gospel tracts, and uh, it just grew and grew. And, um, we were eventually invited to base our ministry in California, particularly bring a teaching to the church called Hell's Best Kept Secret. Uh, one day I received a phone call from uh, David Wilkerson uh, in New York. He had heard the teaching in his car, flew me over, shared it with his church, and then a guy named Bill Goth had also heard the teaching. And he um, screened a video of me teaching it to uh, 30,000 pastors. And so that opened up the ministry incredibly. And then in 2001, the actor Kirk Cameron heard Hell's Best Kept Secret, listened to it twice, said it changed his life, rocked his world, and he wanted to combine ministries. And having Kirk on board was just wonderful. It meant that I could create, a, we could create a program, a television program, that would be acceptable to networks that normally wouldn't touch me with a barge pole because I preach about things like Judgment Day and sin and hell and things the scriptures speak of. 
And I like to say to Kirk, it's really jalapeno wrapped in candy. Kirk was the candy, I was a jalapeno, but it, they gave us a, a, a platform and the television programs and it's eight season. It goes to a, about uh, 190 countries and we're just so delighted and so humbled that God has used it to reach many. You know, Ray, one of the most interesting, again, you can tell me if this is true or not also. You know what? You become famous people write about you. You get your own Wikipedia page. Who knows what goes up there? But one of the things you become famous for is your, really, your no-nonsense approach to witnessing. Um, even to witnessing the people on the street, on the beach, or wherever you find them, wherever you're fishing for men. And I heard about your so-called, quote, good person test to help break the ice with crowds. So I want you to let me know, do you really have this kind of a test, and how does it work? Well, it's not my test. It's uh, based off what Jesus said in Mark 10, verse 17, when the rich young ruler ran to him and knelt down and said, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus didn't say, Oh, God has a wonderful plan for your life. He, he reproved him as a, of his understanding of the word good. And most people think they're good people until they see that when the scriptures speak of good, it means moral perfection in thought, word, and deed. And then Jesus gave the rich young ruler the Ten Commandments, five of them. And he did it to bring the knowledge of sin, because no one's going to appreciate God's mercy unless they realize they've sinned against God. In the same way, nobody's going to appreciate a cure unless they first understand they've got the disease. And the Ten Commandments show us that we're diseased, that we're terminal, and that we're heading for hell, and the gospel is the cure. In, in Christ, the moment we put our trust in him, God gives us a righteous standing with himself because of what Jesus did on the cross. So the good person test is based off what Jesus did with the rich young ruler in Mark 10, verse 17. <clears throat> wow. Hey, Ray, I know your ministry, uh, your incredible books on Christian apologetics, gospel tracks, films, radio shows, etc., are really making a positive difference in America. But our country has fallen a long way morally from its Christian founding. What do we as Christians need to do to help restore America to its Judeo-Christian roots to a point where Americans can once again honestly say, as inscribed on our currency, in God we trust? Yeah, it's very important to realize what we see as symptoms and not the cause. We've got abortion that's out of control. We think we've controlled it, but it, it never gets better. It's a, it's a horror beyond words. Homosexuality, adultery, fornication, pornography, all these things are symptoms of the sinful heart of mankind. And the only thing that can change that is the power of the gospel. I know when I became a Christian in 1972, the moment I put my trust in Christ, I immediately got a new heart with new desires so I became pro-life in an instant. I became anti-anything that was perversion in the eyes of God because God had given me a new heart and caused me to walk in his statutes. So the gospel is the answer. Well, sure, we've got to stand against these things that are wrong, but we must be salt and light. And that light is the glorious gospel, and that's what transforms the heart. And our agenda as Christians is not to change the world or make America back to where it was in the 1950s when it had a sense of morality but to see people saved from God's wrath on Judgment Day. That's our agenda, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and to warn every man that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So it's important we don't lose sight of what we've been told to do, to go into the world, preach the gospel to every creature, because if we do, we're going to put the cart before the horse, and when you do that, you go nowhere. You know, Ray, one of the programs I put together in evangelism is, uh, I call it cracking the, the tough nuts, 
How do you approach those that are just so opposed to Christianity or just so defensive, which might mean they're closer than we think, but is there a, a magic pill, an elevator speech, an airline seats um, uh, overture, something that can be done quickly and easily, right? Famous last words. But how do you approach those that would rather not hear about Judgment Day or even Jesus Christ to begin with? Well, it's been said you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. That is just not true. You can salt the oats. If you salt a horse's oats, it's going to want to drink. And you can salt oh, the oats of a sinner. I love you that. Can, <laughs> you do. You can salt the oats of a sinner very easily by realizing that he's not a horse, a cat, or a cow, or a dog. He's a human being made in the image of God. And something in him says, oh, I don't want to die. doesn't matter who he is, atheist, agnostic, religious person. Something in, his, in him has a will to live, or her, because God's placed eternity upon the heart. And so what we need to do is learn to appeal to the will to live. And what I do is just say to sinners, have you ever read the Bible? It's the world's biggest selling book of all time. Are you well read? They say, oh, yeah, I've looked at it. And said, do you know what the message of the Bible is? And they say, ah, I don't know. I said, well, the Old Testament, God promised to destroy death. And in the New Testament, it tells us how he did it. I said, did you know that? Most people say, no, I didn't know that. Well, who's not, who's not going to perk their ears up at hearing that? God promised to destroy death. New Testament tells us how he did. If, they, if the world knew what we had, they would plead with us to talk to them. You know, you think of what a waitress does when she serves a table. She doesn't walk up and say, look, these look like businessmen. I'm scared to speak to them. She just walks up. Even if they're wheeling and dealing millions of dollars in business deals, she steps up and says, can I take your order? She just butts in. Why? because she knows she has what they want. They're there to eat food, so she can butt in. And what we've got to learn to do is butt in boldly because we know we have what the world wants. Everlasting life is a free gift of God. Jesus said this in John chapter 4. He said to the woman at the well, if you knew who it is that's speaking to you, you'd ask of him and he'd give you living water. And that's what, that's what our agenda is, to take the living water to those who are lying in a desert dying. And if they knew what we had, they would listen. So that's the first uh, string to my bow. It's the sinner's will to live. And the second one, doesn't matter who he is or what he's done or what he believes, he has a conscience. It's God-given, and I speak to the conscience. I don't speak to the intellect. When you use apologetics, which you sometimes do, you speak to the human intellect. But when you open up the Ten Commandments, as Jesus did in Mark 10, verse 17, you speak directly to the conscience, and the conscience bears witness to the truth of the commandments. Everyone knows it's wrong to lie and steal, to murder, commit adultery, to blaspheme. It's written on their heart. So those are the two strings to the bow, and those are the two things that cause sinners to listen. You speak to the conscience, you appeal to the will to live, and you can see this done on our YouTube channel regularly. Uh, it's got 226 million views. It's free. And you can learn and see atheists actually backslide and people change their mind about the things of God simply because I'm using biblical principles. Well, uh, could you give us, what is your website if people want to get more information about your ministry and want to get some of the resources, where should they go to do that? Livingwaters.com, livingwaters.com. And the YouTube channel is just uh, Ray Comfort Living Waters or Living Waters YouTube, and they can watch the videos free of charge. We cannot tell you how much we've enjoyed having you on today, Ray. I want to thank you, and our, I know our listeners are going to thank you as well. 
Um, God bless you for what you're doing and for being an inspiration to the rest of us. And thank you for an analogy that I think Larry and I are going to pick up and run with, the, the horse to water analogy. Absolutely. There is- yeah, salt the oats. Or <laughs> you can do than simply leading a horse to water. I love it. So we want to thank our listeners. We are going just to take a short commercial break. Don't touch that dial. We have another amazing segment for you. We are listening to Dave Wendy. We will be back in a flash. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. So Larry and I uh, didn't have to think very long when it came to uh, what topic we wanted to discuss that's been all over the news the course of this past week. Uh, and that, of course, is the Idaho murders. We're going to take a break from politics for a minute, I know, and, and everybody loves talking politics, but let's talk about community safety. Remember the Idaho murders last year? Just absolutely dumbfounded the community. There was no suspect. Everybody was afraid. People didn't want to go to school. And, of course, those, those families in the community was grieving over the heartbreaking loss of those four precious young college students. Now, Moscow, Idaho finally has a little bit of justice in that there has not only been an arrest, but finally this week the affidavit was unsealed, which provided a lot of detail. Not everything everybody wants to know, that never happens, uh, but a lot more detail than anybody had before as to what's been going on behind the scenes while this man was supposedly on the loose. In fact, he was being tracked. This this town of Moscow, Idaho, hadn't seen a murder in seven years. So this absolutely shook that community to its core. We now have learned about the absolute coordination behind the scenes of state and federal law enforcement. I have to say, Larry, one of the most heartening things that has come out now is all of the time and effort and community response that's gone into finding this man and bringing him back to the demanding state, Idaho, to seek justice on behalf of those victims. Oh, it was it was amazing. And I am so glad they caught this person because when you got like a multiple murder and nobody knows who did it in a small town, a college town. I mean, everybody would be on edge, understandably. Uh, but it, the amazing thing to me, Wendy, is like how they caught him. It's just a, a, just a amazing technology that was involved. It was both DNA evidence and cell phone data and plus, you know, video evidence. And it was just amazing how they did that. Um, And apparently, I don't know if you want to go into that. Yeah, I'll let you lead off on that. But how they tracked him down is just fascinating. Yeah, I'll lead off on it. And I love your um, I I love your observations on some of this because the the devil's in the detail, as they say. And, you know, DNA tracking is done all the time. Um, Many times you have a, a known database, so a CODIS database, law enforcement database. But if nobody has if somebody doesn't have a criminal record, they're not going to be in there. So many people over the course of the last several years have been asking questions regarding the privacy rights if you use sites like Ancestry.com, 23andMe. Actually, those sites don't share your information, but smaller DNA sites 
do. So it's a tool. It's not the be all end all, but it's a tool that was used in this case to basically create a pool of suspects. And then what do you do when you have the pool? Well, you say, well, who's who is of an age that would fit the description of the suspect? Who drives a white Elantra? Who lives near Moscow? In other words, you you start really doing the kind of good old fashioned Colombo uh, investigation you and I grew up with before we had forensics. It is true. We live in a day and age where forensics tell the story that the victims cannot. But in addition to that, it is also very powerful to have evidence that actually comes from witnesses. And I'll tell you, one of the things that stood out to me to the unsealing of the affidavit today is one of the other roommates apparently came face to face with the assailant in the home. And what does she remember? She didn't know what his blood type was or what kind of DNA he had. Bushy eyebrows. How's that for good old-fashioned detective work? I know it. Well, she had heard some uh, sounds, and she looked out, and there was nothing happening. And I think the third time it happened, she opened the door, and she saw this gentleman uh, in black clothing, uh, a, a black hat, walking towards her. And she was frozen. If you can, I can just imagine that somebody that doesn't belong in the house and he walked right past her. He didn't try to grab her or anything, but she was frozen. And then once she composed herself, she went in and she locked the door to her room, but she did come face to face with the killer, which is amazing. And uh, going back to that DNA database, I think, yeah, the FBI searches the, uh, they have their own database, but if they can't find anything, there's two databases, uh, commercial databases they can access, law enforcement can access, and one is called GED Match, and the second one is called Family Tree DNA. And uh, through that, law enforcement can get access to that. Uh, Now, people that sign up for that, uh, they can't say, I don't want law enforcement to have access to my DNA. But if they don't sign up uh, with that, um, uh, that, that waiver, then law enforcement can. So I guess they did approach those two databases uh, to get uh, a match. It should be seen with that, Larry. There's only 2 million people in those databases. And obviously you want to match as many people as you can. And and that's part of the reason that not only did they have the DNA from that sheath that was left behind at the murder scene. And remember, you're talking stabbings. Okay, that's a lot of blood. And it's very likely that an assailant's going to leave DNA with that kind of a mess. But they also were going through the trash yes. at his parents' house. And they were able to, to, to match it up that way. And then, of course, build a family tree and exclude people that they're going to exclude. Larry, one of the other fascinating things about this case, and he's, he's presumed innocent. Until he's guilty in a court of law. But one of the fascinating things about him as a person is that he was a Ph.D. student in criminology. Uh, And that fascinates a lot of of people that have been following this because, you know, you try to think to yourself, what's the kind of a profile of somebody that would commit a quadruple homicide by stabbing? You probably wouldn't say, oh, somebody on their way to get a Ph.D., But we're learning a lot more about some of that background. Now, will that enter into the case? I don't know. We'll have to see what, you know, what ends up going in when we start having court hearings. But it's also interesting that it, it, I, and I, I, we talk about this all the time. It's impossible to guess who's capable of what when we think we're so good at, at selecting red flags and trying to choose people that are safe versus not safe. We think we can gauge somebody's personality. And time and time again, we're faced with cases where people look back and say, Sure, he was quiet. Sure, he was awkward. But we wouldn't have pegged him as a serial killer. Exactly. And just quickly go back to the DNA just for a second. I've, an expert has said that in 99 
out of a hundred stabbing deaths, the killer is going to injure himself, especially when there is a struggle. So there was no, uh, you know, you could pretty much bet, like I said, among that all that blood that you would find the, the killer's uh, blood too, uh, that they use for the DNA. But going back to the point of this guy's personality, I want to bring up a point. He's chilling. He has these, these cold, steely eyes. I mean, that's how I would... Um, describing uh, but he also could be as somebody that would work at a at a convenience store or a computer store I mean you know you can't really tell a person by looking at him but there was a case in 1924 this reminds me of a case in 1924 you know way before our time Wendy but it was a Leopold and Loeb case the attention of the nation and the world was once again focused on Chicago because of this amazing murder and Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb young men from a wealthy family they killed a 14-year-old kid that they didn't even know. They committed the murder. Uh, it was called the crime of the century, hoping to, uh, to demonstrate superior intellect, which they believed enabled and entitled them to carry out a perfect crime without consequences. This reminds me of that. It was a landmark case, and I wonder if this person that's under arrest now knows about that case or was trying to mimic that or was he doing a phd thesis god forbid uh by doing this live uh, this horrible crime yeah you know th- those are great questions larry because people always want to know what the motive is and you know you don't have to have motive to prove murder but motive matters to a jury not that they don't have plenty of other things to go on in many cases but you bring up the the just the fascinating question i mean this is one of the reasons that true crime is such a popular uh, genre, shall we say, of, of viewing. I mean, people just are fascinated with what they can do to keep themselves safe and how they can, you know, peg people that might do things like this. And, you know, when you talk about criminals with PhDs, I mean, remember James Holmes, he was a PhD in neuroscience. The Unabomber had a PhD in math. I mean, right. gosh, most of us are lucky we passed high school math. But, you know, there, there's nothing that correlates necessarily between educational achievement, uh, intellect, uh, accomplishment, and the the ability to commit crime. Now, that case you, you mentioned, I mean, that is one of the most chilling cases. And one of the reasons that we're still talking about it today is we rarely see a motive like that. When you talk about murder cases, you think to yourself, well, you know, did somebody carry a grievance? Was it a romance gone wrong? Was it a disgruntled worker or employee? You don't necessarily think somebody's carrying out a social experiment. And we don't know that that's true here. But it's just one of the fascinating facts that's been discussed. Now, here's the, the what we all have to make sure um, that we keep an eye on. We don't have any evidence yet. There's no evidence. So we, it, right now, if we had to vote, it'd be not guilty. We haven't heard anything. It'll become very interesting, Larry, when they start presenting evidence in court to a jury, because then we'll be able to have an idea as to what those men and women on the jury panel are going to decide to determine what actually happened that fateful night. Exactly. And it's so fascinating to me, too, that apparently they, they, they can track this stuff by your cell phone, and this person actually was in that area next to that home at least 12 times before he actually committed the crime, if he did commit the crime. So they can go back in time and they can pull the phone records, they can ping it, I guess that's the maybe the technical word, and, and kind of 
position where your car is located or where your cell phone is located. And also the video evidence. He was caught on neighboring video cameras. This white uh, Hyundai Elantra was caught on video evidence. And the tracking today, the technology, I mean, uh, thank goodness people can't get away with bad things, hopefully. And the technology is certainly helping. You know, I, I wish we had more time for this. Maybe we'll come back to it on another segment because we got to stay out front of the criminals. You know, I mean, criminals turn their phones off when they're, they'll put them on airplane mode when they commit crime. We can't track them. And all the different methods that, that went into this case uh, do exist. And I think a lot of people are glad to hear about all of that. But we will. Uh, the silver lining will be that that's the way we fight crime nowadays. We have a lot more techniques at our disposal than many people think. Let's all do the old-fashioned neighborhood watch and keep an eye on each other. Thank you for joining us. Have a great week, and God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.